You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 156. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached The Local Maximum. Uh, this is, um, well, recording today as this huge snowstorm rages outside my window. And... Um, Wow, this is incredible. Uh, no no uh, cars on the road, so I guess I am stuck in here podcasting all day and, and working, so that's great. So the idea that you can teach a machine to see, to have vision, uh, has always been very fascinating to me, especially as I saw it live and in person in grad school for the first time. This was in 2010 when I took uh, Jan LeCun's machine learning course at, um, at NYU, and, you know, he show us a little a, a camera that he had, and he could simply point to any object, and it would identify that object. And it was really amazing, and it was really clear how far this tech had become even 10 years ago. Um, and of course, then the question is, well, how do we, you know, this is, this is fantastic. How do we use it? How do we, how do we change the world? How do we, what, what's the implication of this that you could teach a, a machine to see? Uh, you know, nowadays, you might not kind of see it directly in your daily life because, uh, you know, we all have a set of eyes. I don't need a, a camera to identify the, the stuff on my desk. I don't need it to say, hey, this is a microphone, this is a keyboard, this is a, a plate, this is a, um, a phone, whatever. Uh, but, you know, we see some hints of it because, hey, everybody could use an extra set of eyes sometimes. Uh, you know, we see it in auto-tagging photos. You know, you don't want to have to go through everyone manually. Uh, in facial recognition, it's going to become... Very, very important for your self-driving cars, for example, to like you know identify all of the objects in the environment around us, and you know how those objects behave, and kind of keep a, a map of how those objects behave, which will um, hopefully <laughs> build cars that will keep us safe and get us to our destination as soon as possible. Uh, but currently, in broad uses, in, in 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 wide usage, machine vision has a ton of industrial applications. Just another example of AI being used to make the world more efficient and to actually reduce the cost of building things we need. So this is an example of a, of a, of a win for AI. So we have an expert coming on the program in a few minutes, and we're going to learn a little bit about it. But first, let's talk about our sponsor, Active State. If you're like me, you're constantly thwarted and mystified by your build tools and continuous integration tools at work as a software engineer, software architect. And I know there are some of you out there, uh, some really special people who I'm more and more thankful for every day who are really great, really interested in proving the internal tools at your company. So, uh, you know, we need you, I need you. So I want to tell you about Active State today. Active State has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. Active State helps uh, enterprises scale securely with open source languages and gives developers the kind of tools they love to use. More than 2 million developers and 97% of Fortune 1000 enterprises use Active State to support mission critical systems and speed up software development while enhancing oversight and increasing quality. To learn more, go to activestate.com, and it'll be linked on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 156. All right, we're coming up on three years since I started the Local Maximum, and I'm definitely planning on making some big changes this year in 2020. 
one. That's my hope. Uh, you know, starting with my discussions on our locals group at maximum.locals.com. Hope you join that. And at some point in the next couple of shows, I'm going to announce a new location that I'm moving to as well as a new studio setup. So that'll be a ton of fun. And I'm going to work a little bit on the format as well. So lots of big stuff coming this year. Definitely stay tuned for that. All right. Today's guest is an expert practitioner of machine vision for industrial automation and the managing director of Fisher Smith. Ian Smith, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about what you do uh, when it comes to machine vision, uh, you know, you're, you, you started Fisher Smith, I understand. And uh, tell me a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, so we've been, we've been doing machine vision systems for the last 15, 16 years. And mainly what we're doing is deploying camera technology into industrial processes. So this is all fairly hidden away in the depths of uh, factories and manufacturing areas uh, and generally what we do falls into a, a couple of areas the main one is probably quality control where we're using a camera technology to to take pictures of items that are being manufactured and then using the software within the cameras or on a computer attached to the cameras to assess those pictures of the items and verify whether they're correctly assembled the right shape size whatever it may be, in order to to improve and maintain the quality of, of what's being uh, produced. So you said you started this, started doing this 15 years ago? Yep. So where, uh, how, how did you get involved with this? Um, what and, and what were the capabilities back in, I don't know, t- uh, 2006 like uh, compared to today? And why were you so uh, interested in this field? What, what got you into it? Well, yeah, so, yeah, good good question. So I started really when I was at, at university. So I did a, an engineering maths or mathematics um, degree. And while I was doing that, my um, co-director at Fisher-Smith uh, contacted me and through a, a family link and said, oh, our business, his business at the time, we do something that's that's you might be of use to us. Do you want to come and do a little bit of holiday work, a bit of uh, software writing and um, development and um, bits and bobs? Yeah, you know, while I was in breaks in the university, and and that sort of got me into that that industry, doing customer demonstrations or preparing customer demonstrations and playing with the technology. So back then, that was the early two thousands. It was a very very much a fledgling industry that every single machine vision system that we were deploying required a very you know big rack mount industrial computer we were using analog cameras specific frame grabbing boards pci boards that were were required to take the the data in from the analog cameras turn it into digital pictures and then we were writing software almost from scratch to do that image processing to you know count pixels measure distances things like that so Um, what kind of tasks were um 
what kind of tasks are sort of I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of like, you know, h- how does this work? What's possible? What's not? What kind of tasks would you say are like easy for a machine vision to do system to do uh, in terms of the type you work on? And, and, and what kind of tasks, if, if someone asks you to do it, are like really hard? So generally, the the easier ones fall into manufactured items where they are made to a defined shape and size. So imagine you're you're making a nut or a bolt or some metal part that's been machined or cast into to very exact tolerances, and we're looking to measure that maybe um, or validate that a hole is is not blocked then those are the ones where you've got something that's very defined in the first place to set your parameters up to. And you can say, well, I'm expecting to find a hole here. Is it, does it exist? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. And the big benefit with the, the camera technology is that it can be doing all of that at whatever the manufacturing speed is, and it can be doing it without touching the parts, so non-contact inspection. Hmm. So whereas you could, there are lots of metrology, microscopes, um, measuring devices, which will be super, super accurate, but might take a long time to probe one part and measure it in lots of places. The the camera systems that we deploy will do that at two parts a second, three parts a second, 20 parts a second. Um, so there are lots of areas where where certain aspects really fall in um to, to that machine vision so a, a lot of it's you know quality control so if you think automotive car manufacturing sure you've got loads and loads and loads of small components that go into building up that one car and that goes down to nuts bolts fastenings fixings pipes really mundane items but if one of those bolts that's being, you know, holding an engine component in place doesn't have the right thread on it or isn't the right length, then that's a line stoppage for however long it takes to, to get that part out, replace it with the correct part, put it together. Or even worse than that, that it goes some way through production or even to the end con- consumer before that fault is found and you know, it turns into a gearbox fault or, a you know, an engine strip down and becomes very expensive and bad for the yeah. reputation of the automaker. So some of the checks we end up doing are, you know, would, would appear very mundane, but they can be very important to the overall process. The other end right. of that, the difficult things to do are where you're talking about natural products. So grading fruit or vegetables trying to find is this apple bruised is it the right color is it red enough are very subjective uh, decisions to make and that's where we're actually starting to see this is where the the industry has really developed over the last 15 20 years that we're now starting to to be able to do applications like that because we're starting to leverage the the sort of specific AI, the machine learning aspects where we can start to teach a system to say, these are all apples, these are all oranges, count count them, tell me which is different, or here's an apple with a blemish on it, 
find those blemishes because we don't want to sell those to to the to the shops. Right, right. So, um, well, I, I mean, I want to get a little bit of a sense of how some of this works. So, um, you know, let's go back to like the kind of the nut and bolt uh, situation for a second. Like, yeah. how do you deal with? Um, I'm imagining like there's some kind of a, a factory where all these things are coming out one after the other and they're taking pictures of each one. Um, is there a problem if like they're, they're turned at different angles or, you know, if, um, if the, if the camera, I don't know, something gets a little fuzzier than it should be like, th- does that ever happen? Is that something you have to deal uh, with? Absolutely. Yeah. So oft, often where, where the deployments are the most successful is we're constraining all of those, uh, variables so if you're wanting to to very accurately measure the length of a bolt for instance then you would probably want to make sure that those bolts are presented in a pretty accurate way every single time because if they're going closer and further away from the camera they're going to look bigger and smaller just right from the perspective there, there are lensing technologies that can can get around that but you know in general terms, if that object's further away, it's going to be more out of focus or it's going to look smaller. So you'd want them all to be fed in a particular manner to keep them in the same uh, orientation and plane to the camera. Now, sometimes that's that's possible and relatively easy to do because maybe you've got uh, an industrial robot offering these to the camera for inspection or placing them in a certain position. Um, sometimes you've got a feeding, uh, some automation that's that's singulating the parts, putting them single file down a conveyor or some sort of movement uh, uh, mechanism. So that, that all helps. The fewer vari- variations you've got to cope with other than the product variations that you're trying to detect, then generally that's the better for the for the, the vision system. And we tend to be working with the automation companies that are building conveyors, industrial robots, the machines that are putting these things together or manufacturing, you know, turning the and um, putting the threads on the nuts or the or the bolts and we're putting a camera on the outfeed of that machine or is in the middle of that machine to check it at a certain point. Right. So it's, so yeah, I imagine that, um, uh, those can be pretty well constrained. Um, and then of course you talked about the, the, the fruit and stuff like that, which can be very difficult, but is, I guess, <laughs> I guess now with, um, all the machine learning techniques might be, uh, might be some lower hanging fruit if I could use that yeah <laughs> use that analogy so but what techniques do you tend to use for that are they i mean i i've i think I've explained convolutional uh, neural nets on the show is, is that actually something that that you use in industry or do you are there other like kind of uh shortcuts um that that you take or 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 just give me a sense of what what the techniques are so to to some extent the those algorithms are now getting to the point where they're embedded usually they're embedded reasonably deeply in the software that we're using so they're relatively hidden from whoever's deploying the system in in the field so a lot of so quite a bit of the technology is now getting to the, a, a mature 
quite a mature stage that it's a configuration operation. Uh, you're setting parameters and teaching it at quite a high level um, rather than getting into the to the depths of the algorithms that are actually running underneath that. Right. That That's really, a, you know, a big thing that's changed over the last 15, 20 years is that, you know, 20 years ago, you were writing your own CNN or your some sort of a Fourier transform or something like that to, in order to do the image processing at a very low level. Whereas now we've got, you know, manufacturers in in our industry that are producing these algorithms and raising them up into a, a much higher level um, uh, software tool. So they're much easy, more easy to access. So now when we're doing some of the um, deep learning uh, products that we've got, we're able to teach them in a in a pretty almost drag and drop manner where we're saying, this is an image of a good apple. And in fact, here's a folder full of images, all of good apples. We'll label them all up as good. And here's a folder full of images of bad apples. And we're going to label them all up as bad. And we put it all in, set a couple of parameters and click train. And away it goes. How difficult are these things to train? Like, do you have to label? How much data do you tend to have to label for, for some of these? I, I mean, I know, it, I'm sure it varies. It, it does vary. What we're finding is that um, rather than the, the, the deep learning um, platforms that we're generally working with, rather than being, they're not, they're not general. So it's not like going to, a, um, you know, one of the big, big players and just spinning up a, a, a VM on somebody else's uh, platform and getting a, you know, an NVIDIA uh, neural network off the shelf and then starting from scratch to, to train it up on images or even getting one of the generic um, image-based uh, pre-trained or, or preset neural, neural networks. We're working with neural networks that have already been uh, selected and pre-trained to some degree to specifically um, work on industrial image sets. So that does speed things up quite a lot because we're rather than working on, um, you know, elephants and apples and cats and dogs and road signs, we've got networks that have maybe been optimized already for looking at printed text. So if you're checking labels, lock codes on pharmaceutical products or even date codes on um, food labels, there's probably 10 different fonts that are used. They're generally black text on white background. It's yeah. not handwritten. So what you're dealing with in those is trying to get a reliable read of, the, of that text. And you can, you know, over the years, th these vision companies that generally are our suppliers have been collecting databases of these images of industrial text reading applications and they're able to set up a, a, a deep learning neural network really optimized to read printed text in industrial environment which then allows us to leverage that and deploy that with 
maybe very minimal, you know, tens of images that we add to it to say, this is our application. We want mm. it to really focus on on this particular label. And you could do that with tens of images. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, That seems pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Now, of course, some of that is is because we're working with a, a network that's been pre-trained on hundreds right. of thousands of images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're buying that at a much higher level as a as a library from from our supplier. Yeah, gotcha. So, uh, what what sort of um, what industries make really good use of this right now that maybe we wouldn't expect? And then I'm I'm also kind of curious to get your take on: Are there areas in in manufacturing and uh, any industries that are just are not making good use of it and maybe uh, need to or or ought to? So, uh, I guess the historically the 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 main industries that have made best use of this have been high volume, high value um, manufacturers. So, automotive has been a, a, a key player in all of this because they're they're the the manufacturing processes are, are very defined, and they want to they increasing the quality year in year out of 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 the vehicles making them more reliable sure and they've often the the sort of the commercial flow is that they'll set up to build a car line for five six seven eight ten years maybe at the maximum and they set up to build that and they know they're going to be building you know this this type of car down this line for that period of time so they can really gear up for it. So it's it you can put a lot of effort in to get everything right for that in the first place. So that's when you know purchasing capsule equipment like camera systems and automation more generally really makes sense. The sort of the the other side of that coin is where you've got aerospace. So aeroplane manufacture and all the allied uh, maybe even defense where you're looking at really really high quality components or even motorsport for instance where your tolerances on a on a racing car or an aero engine are probably through the roof but you're only making tens of these a year at the maximum Mm. so there isn't the sort of commercial rationale to invest in a machine that just inspects something that you maybe make 10 or 20 of because you can get a person to do that and they're going to do it and it's going to be very slow and laborious maybe they need to be cross-checked by somebody else but because you're only making 10 or 20 a year and there's super high value components that pays for that person to be very diligent to do that work. Whereas where you're trying to drive the cost right down in the automotive sector, then that really wins for, for, for automating and having the objective uh, decision-making that camera system can bring. Um, Other areas where this is well deployed is pharmaceutical. They're a big driver because again, quality is, is a different um, metric really with pharma because you're looking at you do not want contamination in your drug or your right. pill or you don't want a needle tip 
to be bent or have a bit of damage on it that's going to hurt somebody. So you've got almost a, a more litigious problem in that industry, whereas if something goes out, it's going to hurt somebody or going to kill somebody at the very worst case. So therefore, they invest in their processes to really make sure that everything is is constrained and the quality is is super high. So you can have camera systems that are checking for, like I said, needle tips being bent, being the right length, being the right diameter, checking that they're in the right packet, checking that the packaging is the right colour or has the right label on it checking that the text on that packaging is fully printed because if it's not correctly printed and the doctor opens that package up and it doesn't contain the drug they're expecting or it's mislabeled. That's bad. That's like when I go to the bagel store. It's always what, whatever's <laughs> on the bagel is not what I asked. Yes. You're probably less likely to uh, to, to suffer some, some injury or illness. From the bagel yeah, yeah. store, but <laughs> the, yes. the wrong kind of cream cheese. I know. <laughs> but e- even with food, allergies are becoming such a big thing sure. that if sure. if if you get the wrong the wrong label on there, and and some of that you think, well, that that's obvious. You know, if you're a a, a doctor and you're reading the label and you know you're expecting one particular drug and it says it's something different, then it it rings alarm bells and and you throw it away. But if you're if whoever's checking that label, you know, maybe that label is printed in three or four different languages. Maybe it's in you know Arabic script or Chinese or Japanese, a, you know, a script that you're not familiar with looking at. Whoever's checking that in first place might think, well, the English looks right. But maybe there's characters missing from one of the others. But if yeah. you're you know, if you can check that at source from a you know, a vision system that really doesn't care what the language is. It's just checking, does this look exactly as it's supposed to? Then you've got that objective, high quality check to say, yeah, this is exactly to the specification. It's correct. It's good to go out and be used. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you mentioned automotive, and that sort of brings to mind, you know, the idea of, you know, cars have more and more cameras on them now. And, um, you know, there's talk of, you know, self-driving cars that are going to have all these cameras. And I, I, I know you might not be an expert on that, but like, you, you know about the machine vision technology, like what are our cars going to be able to see that, that, that we can't and how fast will they be able to see it? Well, this is, yeah. I mean, this is where the sort of industrial stuff that I've been involved in starts to diverge from I guess what the state of the art is. So people like Google with their self-driving cars that are going around and, and all of that, it, it's it's all similar technologies. It's all alloyed. It's all the same, generally the same, you know, neural networks that are working in the background to detect road signs, to detect other cars, to detect whatever it may be in those self-driving cars. And often what we're seeing in this industry is, is the, the feed down from that, that we're now getting technologies that maybe have matured enough from those people that are breaking new ground and trying to do fancy things in, in, you know, the sort of Google level, then what industry wants is something that's, that's stable and reliable and proven 
there's no risks taken. It's a very conservative industry. Um, and the other thing that we have in industry that where we differ from the, the self-driving cars and to some extent there's the limitation of the self-driving cars is that you can't rely on having a, a super good internet connection to be doing that um, deep learning inference on some massive server somewhere in the cloud and getting the data back. Right. Because if you're needing to real time, which is what's happening in the car, you can't rely on maybe 5G will fix this in the future, but right now you can't rely on that car sending an image away and getting a, a, a signal back to say, that's a stoplight, you better stop within sec second, ten, tens of seconds. Yeah, Who knows what the latency is on that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's the same with the industrial stuff that we're, you know, we need to make decisions. If, if parts are going back past 10, 20 parts per second, we need to have taken the image, done the measurement, done the inspection, given back a pass or fail in order for the machine to, to deal with that part within milliseconds. So this is where some of the, the, the really high-end deep learning AI stuff that's going on in the world generally at the moment is really benefiting from the fact that they can access these great big servers on Microsoft, Amazon, Google's clouds, that you can get access to those. You can do super, super powerful um, computing now for, for very little money, but you yeah. need to have that access to the cloud all the time to do it. Where yeah. We're yeah. often working with a subset of that where on the factory floor, you've got to rely on, a local computing power to give that result back instantly every time and reliably quickly enough. Um, so you end, we end up having what we call edge inference. So we've got APC with its own GPU cards, usually to do the acceleration for the deep learning that is doing the work there and then. And yeah, one aspect of that is speed. And the other aspect is also um, sort of commercial sensitivity that a lot of these uh, big manufacturing companies don't want an open link to the cloud, to Amazon, to Google, to whoever streaming all their data up there. That's that's a big sort of uh, industrial. It's right. uh, no a risk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm curious, uh, do, do, do most of the processes that 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 you're asked to do, is it mostly a matter of just um, taking a picture and they want like a, a label or an answer? Or do you ever have to do something more complicated, like deal with a video or try to make a 3D model from something? Um, is that ever required? So generally, we're not we're not generating something. I mean, there, there are, again, other allied products which do the sort of 3D scanning. So you've got a... Right a camera on a on an arm and the arm knows all its joint positions and you can move that around and scan an object and it will create a, a, a 3D model. The 3D stuff that we tend to be doing um, will be checking the shape of something right. in 3D, using it to, to instruct a robot how to pick it up. Uh, so we're seeing instances where you've maybe got a, a, a bin of parts. So maybe you've got some shafts or some cogs or something and they've been manufactured somewhere else they've been put into a big 
tub or a bin or a box and now they're getting loaded in and need to be dealt with you know assembled into the next bit of the process so can you get a robot to pick them straight out of that box where they're all jumbled up so you maybe have a 3d camera on there that's able to scan that surface and say yeah there's the one that's on the top you can pick that one but you can't pick that one up yet because it's blocked by other parts sitting on top of it so that tends to be where we're using the 3d technology is is to uh it, it is to, to find objects or validate that objects are correctly shaped and sized yeah so some Sorry, of that could could be you know food checking that you know a loaf of bread that's been made is it tall enough has it got the right height or is it not been fully fully formed or measuring the volume of something that's being sliced up so we did a, a, a system a little while ago um where we had a complete wheel of cheese a, a great big round sort of 10 12 kilogram block of cheese circular block of cheese yeah and we needed to to chop that up into individual portions to be sold in the shops so we needed to to make a volume measurement of that cheese and we used a 3d camera to scan it work out how tall it was how wide it was compare that with the weight from a, a set of scales to then plot where the system was going to cut all the slices out it almost seems like all this technology could come together to build some sort of really great like <laughs> house assistant robot that can like clean your house and cook for you <laughs> it, it's 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 always that that frustratingly close aspect of it where it feels like that but when you start digging into it what you know what what we're good at deploying are very super super specific right solutions they're not very good at generalizing and when you're talking about walking around houses or uh, dealing and interacting with other people other things that don't behave in a in a uniform and, and predictable manner, then that's where it becomes very difficult. And of course that's what these self-driving cars and anything that, that needs to interact and, and wander around your house to do something clever like that, uh, that's what, where they really struggle. And it, it feels like we're getting there, but it you know, it feels like there's there's still some It's always hurdles. a few years away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great. So Ian, uh, do you have any last thoughts about our conversation today and, um, uh, where can, uh, where can people, uh, reach you and where can people reach out? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, been, been great to talk to you. I hope it's given a little bit of an insight into probably what goes, uh, uh, along in the background of, uh, and, and away from the majority of people's, uh, sight of what happens, but in the background, yeah, absolutely. every single, computer banknote that's been printed car that's been made uh and a lot of the food and produce that are on the shelves of of the the supermarkets have all been under a, a camera system even you know with the you know current pandemic and people moving more and more to online deliveries this again is putting a lot of um, emphasis on uh, stuff like logistics reading barcodes, checking that labels are present, reading uh, addresses, correctly sorting them to go into the right mail van to be delivered. Um, all of this, okay, there might be 
if you know it's all camera technology it's all all the sort of stuff that that we do that gets put into a warehouse somewhere to 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 read and check and sort so there's lots of this going on in the background hidden from sight hopefully improving the quality of things we're touching day to day um you can find us our website i mean we're we're UK based, um, so we're fishersmith.co.uk is our website, and you can see some examples of systems that we've done in industry. Um, you can search me on LinkedIn, or no doubt find it from the uh, for the pages of your website as well, Max, when, when this yep. goes live. So all this will be on localmaxradio.com/slash one fifty six. Perfect. Episode one fifty six. All right, Ian. Yes, it's really great to hear about this and to hear about, you know, some of the honestly good news that's happening in the background. It seems like this is all improving our lives. We don't even know about it. And um, I, I always like to emphasize that before the pandemic, it seems like we got a little off track, but yeah. uh, it was good to hear about it. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Next week, I'm hoping to have Aaron back on for the next couple of weeks, but he doesn't know it yet. So we'll see what happens. But I want to dive more into the future of cryptocurrencies as well as the future of the Local Maximum podcast since we have some big changes coming up. So uh, we'll be covering that. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and their online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.